Mean Old Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge because, as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls, with Dr. Plenty. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pros Podcast with me, Dr. Nicole Plenty. I hope this month has been good to you, my friends, because guess what? It's just about over. This year is cruising on by and we're almost a fourth of the way to the new year. So what moves have you made towards your New Year's resolution so far? Or did you even have any New Year's resolutions? Maybe you've moved beyond that and you realize that you don't really need them. I wish I was that big of a person because I am not I am not quite there yet. I have felt as if I've lived uh I wish I felt as if I lived all my dreams and didn't need to make them, but um yeah, I still make them. And I haven't made as many moves as I need to, but hopefully I'll be sharing some news this summer towards my goals and you guys keep me accountable. All right now, so there's Someone who's been getting some buzz about having two kids between that are about four months apart. So if you've seen her, she's holding like a bigger baby and a smaller baby. And so this person got a lot of questions and therefore I got a lot of questions about how this could actually happen. Now, this person then subsequently replied in a video basically calling people dumb for not knowing about superfetation. Well, the people questioning are definitely not dumb, okay? There are medical professionals with a lot of experience who have never heard of superfetation. So I wasn't surprised when the story was shared with me by several of my friends and listeners, physicians included, with questions related to how could this possibly happen? So I felt that we should talk about it today on the podcast episode. So If you're unfamiliar, like 99% of the world, superfetation is an extremely rare event that occurs when a patient is already pregnant and then gets pregnant again and carries both of the pregnancies. You heard me. They're already pregnant and get pregnant while they're pregnant. That is superfetation. The second fertilization can occur days or weeks after the first pregnancy, but they are definitely two different fertilization episodes that are not at the same time, okay? I know you're thinking, how is that different than twins, right? Well, twins, the fertilization happens at the same time. Like two eggs are fertilized by two different sperm or an egg is fertilized. And then depending on when that egg splits tells you the type of twin that you're gonna have. With superfetation, this is two different episodes, right? Like you ovulated your next cycle and you got pregnant. So those babies are like, a month apart. Okay. So you get me that you are literally already pregnant and then you get pregnant again. This is observed much more commonly in animals and it only has like 10 to 12 cases in humans that are known and proven to be documented. There's been some theories, but the only proven cases is about 10 to 12. Babies born from superfetation are often considered twins since they may be born during the same birth or the same day. So you can't have superfetation. And then once you deliver one baby, you deliver the other. 
but they're not conceived as twins. Okay. They may have the same birthday and they may call, be called twins, but they're actually not twins. So that is why the diagnosis is extremely com uh, controversial. There are only, like I say, a few known cases in the literature. The ones that are known are usually because of IVF. So you have surrogate pregnancies, right? So you have a mom or a patient that has agreed to carry a, a baby for a couple. That person gets is pregnant and doesn't know they're pregnant. And in the uterus, you can't see anything in the uterus because they're only a couple weeks pregnant. And then they have the IVF transfer. So they were already pregnant with their own baby. And then via IVF, they got pregnant again. This also happens with people's own egg and sperm. Like they might have gotten pregnant spontaneously. Then they have IVF, which then implants another baby inside of the uterus. Now, why is it so rare, right? Like we know that you can't, you usually can't get pregnant while you're pregnant, but, but why? So for you to actually have superfetation to occur, you have to have like the perfect storms of all things, okay? First, ovulation, or which is the release of an ovum or an egg by an ovary, has to happen during an ongoing pregnancy. Now, this is, again, incredibly unlikely because hormones released during pregnancy function to prevent further ovulation, right? Your body secretes a whole bunch of progesterone, secretes a whole bunch of ACG, to tell your body, don't release any more eggs. We're already pregnant. Hey, I am pregnant. So that's why it's extremely rare that now all of a sudden your hormones are going to be that of a pre-pregnant person to allow you to ovulate. So usually the body doesn't work like that. Second, the second ovum or the second egg must be fertilized by a sperm. Now, this is also unlikely because once a woman is pregnant, the cervix has mucus thickening or what's called a mucus plug. That is a way that the body naturally blocks sperm from passing through the cervix. And you got to realize that mucus is thickened due to elevations in the hormone levels during the pregnancy. Also, the fertilized egg needs to implant in an already pregnant womb. People that have fibroids have an increased risk of infertility issues and miscarriages because those fibroids are not a good place for an egg or a fertilized egg, meaning an embryo, to implant, right? So imagine having an actual baby there. Where is it going to implant? It's going to literally find somewhere to implant that doesn't have the gestational sac. Mm -hmm. So this will be difficult because it requires, one, the release of certain hormones that wouldn't be released if a woman uh, were already pregnant and then you have to make space for another embryo in something that's already occupied by an embryo. Okay. Now, if they're released at the same time, if you have twins, of course, they're going to implant at the same time. Okay. But if they're not released at the same time, that other embryo, it's like, I've been chilling here for a month. I now have a double ring sign. This is my home. I am taking over the whole cavity. And the cavity gets bigger and bigger and bigger as the baby and the gestational sac gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That's why the gestational sac takes up basically the whole inner portion of the uterus. So now you have another embryo that's like scoot over and I'm going to implant there. Hmm. Highly suspicious. Now, research has found that 10% of women release two eggs in a cycle, but both eggs are released at the same, at the end of the, the same wave of what's called folliculogenesis, 
which is when you have like the release of the follicle, basically, which does not support the, the theory of superfetation in humans. Okay, so this is why this is controversial. Like you have to have the perfect storm of all three of these things to happen for there to be superfetation. Okay, so naturally, that's why we, we definitely don't see it. Um, but you could have it via IVF. Now, the girl that went viral said she had superfetation, but she also did not have an IVF pregnancy. So anyway, so I'm not saying that it's not real, but I don't see a whole bunch of breaking news on my uh, on my literature feed. So that, that's all I'm saying about that. For, for these reasons, okay, all the things that I'm talking about, most physicians deem superfetation very unlikely. However, if it does happen, this is how we can tell that that's the case. One, you have a confirmed first trimester ultrasound demonstrating only one baby with a heartbeat. And that means you had an actually OB ultrasound. You didn't have a fly by night. Let me get, let's see if you have heart turns quick ultrasound. You had a very detailed transvaginal ultrasound very early in pregnancy that swept the whole uterus and said there's only one baby in here with one yolk sac and that baby has a heartbeat. Then you have a second pregnancy that is also confirmed with fetal heart tones measuring smaller than the original pregnancy. So on two different instances, you had a second pregnancy. First ultrasound is by itself. The second ultrasound comes, you know, a month or two later and you see, oh, wait, wait, there's a second baby and it's measuring off, right? Then the babies don't share placenta. If they're sharing a placenta that they had to be conceived at the same time. They cannot share a placenta. And the way we can tell if babies share a placenta or don't share a placenta is if there's a thick dividing membrane between the two sacs of the baby, or if one placenta is on the top side of the uterus and one placenta is on the bottom side of the uterus. When we look on ultrasound, those are obviously two separate placentas, but it has to be unshared. Next, you're likely having an IUI or IVF pregnancy, meaning you are doing something that is trying to get you pregnant via inserting the actual embryo directly into the uterus. So then you defy the, you know, hormonal changing odds, okay, having to release an egg and things like that. Now, mind you, even with IVF, inserting an embryo, if your hormones are not at the optimal level for IVF, then that would not also be, that would be also not a cause to have superfetation. Usually that second embryo wouldn't take, but if it does happen, then it would be likely IVF. Then we'd have to have identification of the second pregnancy that is not explained by anything else, right? So the first ultrasound, it couldn't have been like, oh, that was a really difficult ultrasound. She had a lot of fibroids and maybe we missed it. Or, oh, you know, the person that did her ultrasound didn't have a lot of experience. Oh, the baby was really small and we didn't do a transvaginal ultrasound um, because the patient was uncomfortable. So we were doing a limited ultrasound. No, it had to be two optimal ultrasounds that proved that there was nothing else except for one baby in the uterus at the first time on the ultrasound. And then the second one obviously shows two different babies, two different sizes in the uterus. All right. So now that we know more about superfetation, we are going to go to some cases and questions. And today I'm missing my medical intern, but that's okay. You guys have sent in 
several cases and questions that have been sent directly to me. So I will read you guys the first case. So our first case is a 22 year old who is 26 weeks pregnant with twins. She is having twins that share a placenta. When she had her first ultrasound three weeks ago, she was told that they both were girls. However, one baby is growing significantly smaller than the first baby by a few weeks. The smaller baby also had a low amount of amniotic fluid, which is the reason her OBGYN's office has been following her weekly until she could be seen by you. She's wondering if this could be superfetation since she was reading about it after Googling different size twins. She was referred for further management. Remember what I said about shared placenta. If they share placenta, this is not superfetation. This is a type of twin. So let's go through why I think this. So one, she's 26 weeks pregnant. And yes, they, there is a discrepancy in the size of the babies. But this could be explained if one baby had more of the blood supply or more nutrients than the other baby. And we commonly do see this in twins. So with the different types of twins, there's five different types. So the most common type is what's called dichorionic, diamniotic. Those are twins that do not share a placenta, okay? It's like having two different pregnancies that were conceived at the same time. And they're in their own little sack, okay? So as long as they're in their own little sack, we know that they are dichorionic twins. Remember that thick membrane between the two or the placentas that are in two different places in the uterus? That's how we know they're dichorionic. Also with dichorionic twins, you can sometimes have different genders. Now, in this case, they're both girls, which obviously can happen. But if you ever have a set of twins where one's a boy and one's a girl, even if you don't know what type of twin it is, they're automatically dichorionic, right? Because it's not like you had one egg that then split because then they will be the same genders. So that's a dichorionic twin. Then you have monochorionic twin. And out of the monochorionic twins, you can have monochorionic twins. So monoamniotic, monochorionic, meaning they're in the same sac and share placenta. So there's no little membrane between the two because they're swimming in the same sac. Or you can have uh, monodite twins. They have one single placenta, but they're, they are in two separate sacs. So they're two separate amnions. So diamnions. So monochorionic, meaning one placenta, diamniotic, meaning two separate sacs. They share a placenta. You can also have monochorionic, monoamniotic twins that are in the same shack, but also conjoined twins as well. So those are your pretty much types of twins in a nutshell. So I said five different types, four different types of twins um, in a nutshell. Now with what she's describing, you have two girls, so they can be either, they can either share a placenta or they have two separate placentas. But because she's been told that they share a placenta, I know that these have to be monochorionic, diamniotic twins, okay? Meaning they're in a different sex. And so since they've been followed weekly and one has low fluid and one has normal fluid, they have to be in different sex, right? Because you can't have two babies in the same sack with one baby having low fluid in the sack and the other baby having normal fluid. No, that means they're in two different sacks, right? So because one baby has low fluid and one baby is small, this is probably called twin and twin transfusion syndrome, where one baby takes more blood than the other. And once we get, there's stages of twin and twin transfusion syndrome, with the first stage being 
that one twin has a lot of fluid and the other twin has, has a very little amount of fluid, we get to stage two twin and twin transfusion syndrome when one baby has a lot of fluid and a big bladder and the other baby has a little bit amount of fluid and we can't see the bladder. And so for this, I don't see anything about the bladders of these babies in this um, case, but since one has low fluid, I'm assuming this is at least stage one twin to twin transfusion syndrome. And then what I would do is evaluate this patient to see if there's any evidence of more advanced stages. So I'm going to look at the bladder. I'm also going to um, look at the blood flow through the umbilical cords of both babies to see if we have anything like stage three twin and twin trans, uh, transfusion syndrome, where one baby has good blood flow and the other baby has very reduced blood flow. Um, and then I'm also going to look to make sure that I'm looking at any other risk factors that can cause a bad outcome, like the cervix or the length of the cervix shortening. Um, those are reasons that some people can't get intervention for twin to twin transfusion syndrome. And, and we'll have to talk about that in another episode. But anybody that has at least stage two, meaning one baby has a lot of fluid, the other baby has very little fluid, the baby with very little fluid, you don't see a bladder, that is a reason for intervention. And that intervention usually entails us doing a procedure where we insert a camera into the uterus, and then we try to illuminate the vessels that are shared in the placenta, and then burn those connections of blood vessels within the placenta. That's called a coagulo-ablation, okay? That helps prevent further worsening of twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. And what you know, twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome can progress and go on until one of these babies passes away. And if one baby passes away in a mono-dye pair, the other baby has a high chance of also passing away. And in the baby that doesn't pass away, that baby, surviving baby, if they're this gestational age, has about a 26% chance of neurological brain injury, like a little stroke in those babies. So reading this case and going through this case, this is not superfetation. This can all be explained by the concept of twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome in a monodi pair, which is our case pearl for today. And it is, this is explained easily by the presence of stage one, twin and twin transfusion syndrome in monodied twins. All right, so we're gonna go to our second case right now. And it is a patient that is now 13 weeks pregnant with twins. She was told that she was having dichorionic twins at the beginning of the pregnancy. During her first ultrasound, there were two babies, one that was much smaller than the other at about nine weeks. The, the smaller one was only measuring six weeks. Now she only has one baby with the baby measuring about 12 weeks a week ago. She was wondering if these were pregnancies fertilized at different times, given the difference in size of the babies. She was sent for further evaluation and management. With this pregnancy, one baby is measuring six weeks, the other one were measuring nine initially. So there's a three-week difference between the two babies. Now the surviving baby is measuring spot on, right? A week ago, she was 12 weeks. Now she's 13 weeks. So this is probably the nine-week baby, right? Because that is consistent with the size and the rate of fetal growth. Now, what probably happened was we ended up having a baby 
that was not going to survive, right? So twins have a higher risk of fetal loss just because they're twins. And sometimes we can see a difference in the rate of growth if that twin is not going to get good blood supply. The good thing is they're dichorionic. So one twin is not depending on the other twin for survival. Unfortunately, we can't help where one placenta implants in the uterus versus the other. One placenta could have implanted at a more avascular location um, in the uterus, which meant that that baby would have had a harder time getting blood supply. That probably is what happened in this case. So I don't think that this is super fetation because one baby was there with another baby. So you had two babies. They just had different sizes. So we never had an ultrasound where there was only one identifiable baby and then a second one. For her, for this case, there were two identifiable babies and then reduced down to one. So what probably happened in this case is that she was losing one of the pregnancies. And then there's one ongoing surviving twin. So for anybody that has this, I'm going to do early genetic screening because babies that have abnormal chromosomes do have a higher risk of miscarriage. So I want to make sure that our surviving twin does not have a high, um, does not have any chromosomal abnormalities. So I would offer her first trimester screening to look at the thickness of the back of the baby's neck and or what's called a chorionic vela sampling, which is when we go in and we sample the placenta, send that piece of tissue off for the baby's genetic makeup to make sure it's normal. The other thing she could do is wait until 16 to 18 weeks to, to do what's called a genetic amniocentesis, which does not sample the placenta. It actually samples the actual amniotic fluid, which are fetal cells that have flaked off into the fluid. And you can actually test the baby's genetic makeup directly from that fluid. So depending on how quickly she wanted to know answers would tell me which one to offer her. And uh, in addition, she could also get what's called a non-invasive prenatal screen, which doesn't tell you all the chromosomal abnormalities and doesn't screen for all of them, but it does tell you if your baby has the three most common chromosomal abnormalities plus the gender. So it tells you Turner syndrome as well. So it tells you whether your baby has 46 chromosomes or 45 chromosomes with one being a missing X chromosome. So it would be a Turner's baby, which is 45 XO. Could also screen you for Down syndrome, which is an extra copy of the number 21 chromosome. Edwards syndrome, which is an extra copy of the number 18 chromosome, which is usually associated with major heart defects in babies. Can also screen for Patel syndrome, which is an extra copy of chromosome 13. Most of those babies have major brain defects and they can have other findings too, but these are just the hallmark, hallmark things that when I see them, I'm thinking these chromosomal abnormalities. So she has those three options for genetic testing and screening. After that, usually anybody that has a vanishing pregnancy, meaning we lost the baby very early on, we're going to um, do a detailed ultrasound on them um, even after the genetic testing comes back, just to make sure the baby doesn't have any anomalies or any birth defects. Okay, we usually do that between 18 to 20 weeks. And then after that, your OBGYN may opt to do some growth scans periodically just to make sure the size of the baby remains normal. But usually these babies are normal singletons, meaning they become a normal solo pregnancy on their own. And there's not an increased risk of poor outcome in these babies after um, after delivery. So the case pearl for this case is vanishing twin pregnancies can cause a difference in size of the babies very early in the pregnancy. All right, so our last case is actually not a case. It's actually an email question, which I love email questions, you guys. And this question reads, 
Dr. Pliny, I have a friend who was hospitalized with twins due to preterm labor. I recall that she had her twins at different times. She delivered one baby at 28 weeks, but was able to stay pregnant for an additional four and a half weeks and had the other baby a little over 32 weeks. Was the reason she was able to stay pregnant longer with the second baby because they were two pregnancies conceived at different times? Very good question. Um, but the answer is likely no. So most babies, uh, so twins in general do have an increased risk of preterm labor. Most babies, uh, most pregnancies of twins, the average gestational age for delivery is 36 weeks. So four weeks early. Although with twins that don't share placenta, so dichorionic twins, we want them to get to 38 weeks before delivery. No twins go beyond 38 weeks, y'all. So the best type of twin, dichorionic twin, meaning when I say best, I mean the lowest risk twin for complications. 38 weeks is when we want them to deliver. But because your uterus is growing at twice the rate, there is a higher risk for people to deliver even earlier than 36 weeks, which obviously is what happened here. And so usually if we have somebody that has extreme prematurity, meaning 28 weeks or less, we're going to try to do everything we can to keep that patient pregnant. And that's probably what the patient's OBGYN and high-risk specialists did here. They probably had her on bed rest because she may have ruptured or um, she may had advanced cervical uh, dilation and they could not control labor and she delivered the, the first twin. If she stopped contracting after delivery of that first twin, what I have done is I will clamp the cord on the first twin as high as possible and then give the patient medications to relax the uterus, right? To see if we can keep that second baby inside. As long as the mom doesn't have any issues with bleeding, as long as the mom doesn't have any signs of infection and she's able to stay in the hospital and be monitored very closely, I will try to buy some time with that second twin. Most of the time we can't buy much time, right? Most of the time your body is naturally going to go into labor. But I have had times where I've delivered one baby and then clamped the cord really quickly as high as possible and made sure that cord was not exposed, okay? And tried to stop labor and been successful by a month, okay? I've been successful by six weeks, actually, to try to keep that second baby inside, okay? Sometimes it works. Our remedies work. Sometimes they don't. In this regard, it looks like it did, right? So she delivered one baby at 28 weeks. That baby probably went to the NICU, and then she delivered the second baby at 32 weeks a month later, and that baby probably went to the NICU, but probably spent less time in the NICU, or they probably got out at the same time. So for every week a baby is born early, that's a week in the NICU a baby spent. So it's, are you spending a week in the NICU? You know, are you spending, what is that? A lot of, a lot of weeks, basically. Are you spending 16 weeks or in the NICU, right? Or are you spending eight weeks in the NICU? So it's just a difference of like how much time overall a baby's going to spend. So the longer the baby's inside, of course, the less NICU time. Early the baby's delivered, the more NICU time. But they probably got out around the same time. If not, the 32-weeker probably got out quicker because the mom was able to get steroids on board for longer. And we know that the longer a baby is inside, the more the lungs are mature and the less chronic lung disease a baby will have. But prayerfully, both of her babies did really well. I'm glad that she could buy four and a half weeks to get the second baby over 32 weeks. But I pray that both of them are thriving. But no, these babies were likely conceived at the same time. It's just that her OBGYN intervened and tried to stop labor of the second baby.
All right. So looking at what my medical intern sent me, I know we don't have any more cases or questions. So thank you guys so much for listening to the Pregnancy Pearls podcast. I hope that you've learned more about superfetation. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to share me with your friends, rate and comment. If you or someone you know has a pregnancy complication or unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypearls at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at pregnancy underscore pearls and Facebook at pregnancy pearls. You can also feel free to check out the website, which is www.drnicoleplenty.com for free pregnancy downloadables. And for goodness sake, catch up on all four seasons of the podcast, y'all. Because it's good and it's free information. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you. Thanks for listening. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson-Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a Mean Old Lion Media production.